0: Friends, uh, today, uh, Deacon's been very busy. Uh, he led morning prayer for us and then stations the cross and then the seven last words of Jesus. And uh, uh, knowing uh, some of the things he talked about, um, I want to kind of piggyback on those words, on my homily, uh, and because I, I think it helps us to better understand the mystery that we are commemorating today. We really need to meditate on a few of the Jesus' statements, the words during the Passion as presented in John's Gospel that we just heard. To begin, Jesus says in the Gospel, Whom are you looking for? And Jesus takes the initiative with these words. The guards respond, Jesus the Nazarene. And Jesus responds, I am. He, Jesus the Nazarene, presents himself. Calling him or anyone a Nazarene was a bit of a slap in the face in Jesus' time. Remember when they said in John's Gospel, can anything good come from that place called Nazareth? So to call Jesus a Nazarene was to insult him. And Jesus yet presents himself saying, I am. Which is a common way that Jesus presents himself at times is recorded in the Gospels. And we're told as soon as the soldiers hear these words, they fall to the ground. Jesus' response reveals his identity. I am. And for those who know Scripture, that's the glorious name of God given in Ezekiel 3:14. And now God's glory, and here it is, God's glory revealed in the humility of this Nazarene called Jesus. And Jesus tells the guards, if you are looking for me, let these go, meaning the men who are with him. In this, we find the Lord protects his people, those who are his own, those who will be his disciples, his friends. He does not flee in the face of danger. He only thinks of saving his disciples, fulfilling his words as we were told, I have not lost any of those you gave me. Peter wanted to defend Jesus with the sword. But Jesus tells him, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup that my Father has given me? Jesus expresses the strength of his love and dedication for his father. He knows the chalice he must drink is a gift from his father. For me, I had to reflect on this. How great of love must you have in order to recognize that such trials and sufferings are a gift and more so something attached to that gift, a promise from the Father. We should ask our Lord to help us to etch these words on our heart, which can give us so much enlightenment and help us in our own personal trials and our own personal sufferings. Jesus' words to Pilate during the interrogation, the insults, He says, You say I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world. Jesus is speaking to him to testify to the truth. And he says, Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. These words of Jesus are an appeal. And he waits for the correct response from his disciples then and he's waiting for the correct response from each of you now and he invites us to discern if we are with him or against him are we on his side of truth and if we are do we do so with no compromise The truth of which Jesus speaks is spoken throughout the Gospels. However, it is condensed in the Beatitudes. Jesus teaches, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the clean of heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. My friends, when I think back on the Beatitudes, the world mostly disagrees with what Jesus had said. He had turned everything upside down from what they understood. They understood, happy are those who have more than what they need. Happy are the powerful and who use their power themselves. Happy are they who do whatever they please with no care or concern of how it affects another person. The truth of Jesus completely turns upside down the world's ideas about things. In Jesus' total self-emptying, which we know as kenosis, total emptying of himself, in his Paschal mystery, is proof of his truth. Whoever stands on the side of truth should pay close attention to testimony, what Jesus said and did. Jesus' word to his mother from the cross. Woman, behold your son, as he looks at the beloved disciple. In this, Jesus bids his mother to make a painful sacrifice. He bids his mother to make a painful separation, letting go of her physical motherhood. Jesus crucified gives everything over. Everything that he is and has, he gives over to his father to be united with him. So in order for Mary to be completely united to her son, she too must give up everything she has left. Her husband is gone. He has died. All she has left now is her son. She must give him up. But we are told about Jesus, what he said. From the cross he would draw all people to himself. John twelve, thirty-two. And there it is, Mary, standing at the foot of the cross, in our human words, loses Jesus. But my friends, as she gives up her physical motherhood, she subsequently receives a universal motherhood. She becomes the mother of all those who would become disciples of her son, all those men and women who accept Jesus, accept his Paschal mystery, his passion, his death, his rising. Friends, this poses a challenge because I can't understand why some Christians can't see, but Mary of Nazareth, Mary the mother of Jesus, all that she has done for God, and cannot recognize then her queenship. And who she is to us. The great disciple. No greater disciple ever than that. She becomes the mother of all who are baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit who claim themselves to be Christian, to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus, before dying on the cross, says, I thirst. We are told that Jesus says these words that scripture might be fulfilled, John 19, 28. In this example, Jesus' uncompromised obedience to his Father. I believe part of his thirst also was thirst for unconditional love from his friends those who would say i am a disciple of him he thirsted for their faith uncompromised but in a very deep theological way in those words we see his uncompromised uncompromised obedience to his heavenly father we should ask our Lord for the grace to do the same so that we may become holy as he is holy. Marins, it brings me to some things about the time around Calvary, the people, the social situations, the governmental situations. And people think, oh, it is nice that we remember over 2,000 years ago this event. It's kind of nice, isn't it? But the truth is that some of those things about Calvary go on every day. The pain, the suffering, the condemnation, the violence, the injustice, it is repeated every day throughout this world, certainly by certain governments and their leaders, within our own country, within our own cities, in drug played inner cities, with families, Perhaps we know this experience in our own families. Jesus is nailed to the cross because of the messiness of humanity. Let us not fool ourselves. It is our mess that put him there. That mess is still around because of our stiff-necked, hardened hearts? My friends, we can certainly say, oh, Father, but, you know, I wasn't there at the original Calvary. <laughs> and therefore, I, I didn't have anything to do with that. I didn't play no part in that suffering and death of Jesus. But we cannot say truthfully that some aspects of the cavalry event does not repeat itself in one form or another in every generation, including our own. And we cannot avoid taking a look and seeing what part do we play in this? And then we go back to the Scriptures and see what role do I play? Could I be like Peter, denying my faith against Jesus amongst my co-workers amongst my friends. I just I won't talk about Jesus. I'll deny. And I do so because I have no courage. Could we be like Pilate, perhaps? washing our hands of a decision that demands truth and justice because maybe we are afraid we're going to make somebody upset, in particular within our own social circles. To say, I am a Christian in my home, but outside my home, that's none of my business. What good is that? Could we be perhaps like one of the fickle mob members who shouts, crucify this and crucify that? When perhaps if we were to pray and reflect on the situation, it does not need crucifixion. What it needs is understanding and compassion and forgiveness and mercy. Could we be like maybe one of the culturally conditioned soldiers who readily mocks and taunts What would that look like today? People who would readily taunt the homeless, who ask for assistance, or who need just to set up a camp, but not in my neighborhood. You're not bringing down my house value. Or, as one of the cowardly disciples who do we do the same thing when it gets to be a little bit too tough this faith this Jesus and what he asks or when we are challenged to take a stand to stand up for the gospel and Jesus' values to stand up for what the church teaches no matter the consequences or perhaps perhaps Just perhaps you and I could be like the weeping woman of Jerusalem, who can empathize with a victim and turn to them with a nurturing heart, with compassion. Or how about Veronica of legend, who has the courage to do something. Do you remember what she does? She takes a cloth, knowing that she could be beaten by the soldiers, and shows compassion to a man suffering by simply touching his face and wiping the sweat and blood. She had the courage to do something, and because of which she finds herself aligned with Christ and a great grace slapped on her. Could we be like Simon the Cyrenian? Not quite a hero, and not quite sure what political or moral correctness is in a certain situation in our society. But in the end, Simon would let holiness... Prevail. Let holiness get the better of him. Maybe we can be that. Could it be that you or I could be Joseph of Arimathea, who risk social and private position and privilege because you actually show compassion. Or Mary, the mother of Jesus. Maybe we could be like her. She picked up the broken pieces of lives shattered. And it was shattered because of hatred and bigotry toward another, in this case her son. And then she would pick up all the pieces for the apostles. Perhaps we could be that. when one reflects on today's versions of the victims do our eyes pass over them as if they were not there or do our eyes meet theirs and will we help them in their pain my friends once once I was welcomed into a homeless community. And I asked them, what is the one thing, what is the one thing that we could do different for you? And I remember, because they had their own, their own hierarchy, social system. And they said, we are used to no. People tell us no all the time. But they do not look at us as if we do not exist. They look away. All they have to do is just look. In, he said, look me in the eye and just say hello. Isn't that simple enough? I put forth these considerations in order to underline a critical pastoral point. And this is it. It would be a great, real tragedy for us if we thought that Calvary and its victims and its cast of characters who were real people appeared only once in human history a long, long time ago. And finally, the final reflection we look at is Jesus' final words from the cross. It is finished. It made me think about Genesis. We read on the seventh day, God completed the work he had been doing. Genesis 2. 2. And here it is yet another mystery. For with the death of Jesus that leads to the resurrection, God completes his work about bringing us back to him. It was always about that. Just bringing us back to him so that he could give us the gift of life eternal. That we would be able to love him for all eternity. To be with him for that is the reason why he created us in the first place. Now, Jesus says, everything is finished, Father. There could be no greater act for the glory of God the Father than we find in his Son, Jesus, who gave everything for you and I. Yeah? Jesus asked his dearest friends for the same thing. I desire everything from you. Even of his mother. Turn it over. But in return, in return, life eternal. That is quantity and quality. Brothers and sisters, how can Nothing measures against it.